You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. What's spooky with you? Rest, stop, glitch. All right, this isn't too wild, but it happened nearly a year ago, and I still think about it from time to time. Last fall, I was on a 12-hour drive leaving from New England. Maybe just an hour of the trip cut through Connecticut. If you've ever driven through, you might know that instead of taking random exits to get gas, food, etc., Connecticut has sort of state-run, I guess, rest stops every so often down the interstate that are all pretty much identical with gas pumps, bathrooms, and restaurants all in the same spot. I needed gas, so I pulled off at one, and I decided to run in to grab some food first. My first choice was Burger King, but I noticed none of the people working there were wearing masks. This was fall 2020, and I was pretty nervous about COVID. There was only one other restaurant open, so I approached the counter. It was a basic setup, one long counter with slices of pizza displayed behind a long panel of glass. I walked right up in front of the employee who was behind the glass cutting pizza. I waited a few minutes for them to notice me. We were only about two feet apart from each other, facing each other directly. They didn't seem like they were going to notice me, which wasn't weird. I know people can be really focused on tasks and not notice their surroundings. So I said, hello, but they didn't even look up at me. I was about to say something again when I noticed someone walking toward me. I was hyper aware of my surroundings because I was taking social distancing so seriously. So I noticed them when they were still about 10 feet away. They kept walking toward me, and I thought they were going to get in line behind me to order food. I was nervously hoping they wouldn't stand too close, but they kept on straight toward me. They actually just kept walking toward me until they were literally about to run into me head on. I had to fall backward and to the side to avoid them crashing into me. We even brushed arms. I was pretty shocked, and I said, hey, I just wanted to get their attention. Just as I narrowly dodged them and sort of shouted at them, the pizza employee looked up at them, smiled, and asked what they wanted to eat. Neither of them even looked at me. I stared at them for a minute and then said, Excuse me. I got absolutely no acknowledgement. At this point, I started to get pretty upset. I took a few steps back and said, just to the whole rest stop in general, Hello? Hello? I was extremely embarrassed to just be kind of shouting for attention at random, but nobody even noticed. There were a few families right next to me in line for Burger King and headed to the bathrooms, but not a single person looked at me. The rest stop was fairly quiet, except for the sounds from the kitchens, and there were only about 15 of us in there, so it wasn't as if my voice was just getting lost in the crowd. Now fairly panicked, I headed for the exit behind a family who didn't notice I was right behind them and actually let go of the door so it started to shut in my face. When I got in my car, I was so upset that I called my mom in tears. I told her what happened and she agreed it was pretty strange and generally upsetting, 
but there wasn't really any explanation or anything to do about it. I ended up just driving a few more miles down the interstate to another rest stop where everything was normal and I did get some pizza. I know this doesn't sound extreme by any means, but in the moment it was pretty bewildering. Welcome back to Paranorm Girl, Season 2, Episode 13. I'm Kristen. Dudes, I thought I was going to have to throw hands. This phenomenon has got me all uh, twitchy. I'm, I'm twitching. Speaking of which, I have started a Twitch account brainstorming right now to come up with some awesome creative video content for y'all. Also a YouTube account, Back to Throwing Hands, was scrolling through TikTok and uh, happened onto this guy's video talking about the Klondike Bar jingle. And he plays these versions of the jingle that I had never heard before. They were very quick and short, not much to them. They, they went, uh, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Okay, so I'm sitting there waiting for him to play the, you know, uh, real version. And he's like, yeah, uh, am I the only one that remembers the jingle going like this? What would you do for a Klondike bar? And I'm like, no, no, this is impossible. I know how that jingle goes. If someone had asked me prior to seeing this video how the jingle goes, I would have sang it exactly that way for them. It's 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 the only version. It's the only way I remember ever having heard it. But the guy's like, nope, the short way is the only way. And when I asked Lee what he remembered, he sang it the quick fast way and just gave me this uh, this deer in the headlights look when I sang it the way that I remembered. So I was all like, no, 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 you are from the other timeline. What did you do with the real Lee? So anyway, I thought this was a new ME for about 24 hours. Took some time, but I did find a commercial from 1983 that has the version I remember in it. <sighs> it was dicey for a little while, not gonna lie. But Finally, both peace and sanity have been restored in my home. But it is curious to me that the version of the jingle I clearly remember is from the year before my birth. Like, was I jamming out to that version in the womb? I don't know. Entirely possible. And you might be wondering, Kristen, why did you just tell me the story? Literally, by the end of it, nothing actually happened. But here's the kicker, dudes. For my especially skeptical folks listening... If you can imagine yourself in my shoes in that instant, my gut dropping, my mind racing, my heart pumping, knowing, no, no, full well knowing that the jingle went the way that I remember it going, but now being told that it did not, and me almost like trying not to panic, you guys, that is what it feels like for those who have discovered this phenomenon via an actual Mandela effect, like the Berenstein Bears, like Stouffer's stovetop stuffing, like the line, Hello Clarice, never having been in Silence of the Lambs, that's what that feels like. So slow your roll about making believers of this phenomenon feel like idiots or feel crazy. It's just not fair or okay to do so. Uh, real quick, not sure if you can hear it, but the mic might be picking up a bit of a, a whooshing, raining sound. And that is because uh, there is a hurricane happening outside my house right now. Miss Ida uh, really doing some damage to a major portion of the area. So I, I'm really thinking about a lot of people I know here, my coworkers, some friends who decided to stay who are actually inside of the city limits, unlike myself. Um, I, I just 
I sincerely hope everyone is getting through this okay without too much damage or loss to property or flooding. Luckily for me, nothing too crazy has happened since it made landfall. I'm in a pretty good position in relation to where this thing seems to be heading. The lights have flickered here and there, and it's it's been raining cats and dogs, but thankfully, for now, we are safe, hunkered down, and all is well. Went from fires and earthquakes in California right into Hurricane Central here, didn't I? Frying pan into the fire. And for those who are curious, we were actually going to evacuate, but unfortunately, due to the massive amount of animals we have in tow, we had to make a last-minute decision on whether to try to find other options or stay and stick it out. And, you know, based on the models we had been watching last night, we felt pretty confident we would be okay staying in our area. So there you go. Uh, You know, last year, we got hit with... Zeta or Zeta. I don't even remember what it was called. And I recall that one being a lot scarier than this one has been so far. That bad bitch went right over us and just knocked us around something good. Uh, Zero out of five stars would not recommend. All right, on to the show. What is on the docket for today? Ah, ah, ah. Mandela effect residue. So, The definition for ME residue is surprisingly not all that easy to find online. So here is my definition from what I understand. In short, it's the proof that at least at one time, the Mandela effect that you remember intimately to be true, but no longer is, was. And if you're just starting out with this stuff and are like me, you're all like, yeah, but isn't that the deal with the Mandela effect? You can't actually prove its validity because there is no proof. Not so fast, friends. This is where residue comes in. ME residue is a concept that there is real life and currently existing proof supporting the memories that so many people are having. For instance, if you were to ask most anyone right now where the Statue of Liberty is located, they will tell you that it is on Liberty Island. But a ton of people, myself included, remember having learned that Lady Liberty was out at the end of Ellis Island. And if you were to Google Statue of Liberty Mandela Effect Residue, there's this picture that will begin popping up. One of the videos that discusses it over on YouTube, uh, and I will link it below, He talks about the original website this photo had been located was timefreezephotos.com. Unfortunately, that site is no longer up, but we can still see the photo clearly in this video. And, uh, And we learn a little backstory about it. He talks about the original poster of the photo having developed old film in his private darkroom and posting them on his website. He says the developer liked historical pictures, but um, especially the ones of New York City. One of the ones he posted was of the Statue of Liberty off in the distance, standing tall and proud at the very front of what appears to be Ellis Island. Please check the link out below. Many would say that this is real residue, real proof that at one time on another timeline in another reality that has now melded into this one, that the statue was in fact on Ellis Island. However, there's a more logical explanation for this photo. Perspective. 
Upon reading the comments for this video, one viewer does pose this as a possible explanation after doing some rather impressive online detective work. The, uh, the commenter notes that in the name of the photo on the website, it only says it was taken from New Jersey. If one looks at Google Maps, you can find the general area the picture would have been taken from. And if you go to street level view, you can see Ellis Island and the statue in the distance. However, I personally had a tough time getting it to line up in order for it to appear to be on Ellis Island like it was in the photo. Also, the size of the statue is much smaller in Street View compared to the much bigger, aka closer, statue in the residue photo. Could the original photographer simply been on a boat and much closer and at just the right angle and simply lied about where they took the photo from? Of course. Could this picture be photoshopped? Though it doesn't appear to be, uh, people are very talented and it totally could be. I'm willing to accept that my memory is wrong. Absolutely. The only part of this that makes me hesitate to do so is that even if this residue is fabricated, there are other examples of residue with this one. They mention the statue on Ellis Island in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. In an opening montage scene in Crocodile Dundee 2, there is a very interesting photo of the statue that looks to be incredibly close to the city buildings on the main island, as if it were on the closer Ellis Island rather than Liberty Island. Uh, there are purported photos of people seemingly standing in front of nothing, pointing up or staring up at nothing but still being tagged on social media as being at the Statue of Liberty. But alas, there is nothing but open water and empty space in the part of the pics that would, in theory, hold a giant green metal lady. And, of course, the folks in these photos swear up and down that when they were taken, they were in fact standing at the foot of the damn statue. I find it interesting the song and dance that the skeptics of this particular M.E. will do in order to debunk it. While I am not totally convinced one way or the other, real M.E. with residue or a matter of perspective when shooting film or taking photos, y'all know I don't like people shutting down conversations that need to be had, and I think this is one of them. It's big enough a phenomenon and important enough to thousands of people, literally on an emotional level, that we need to be able to talk about this stuff without being labeled crazy conspiracy theorists or Looney Tunes. Ah, Looney Tunes. Plenty of residue with that one. And while we are on the subject of cartoons, come to find out we are not finished talking about Tinkerbell. She's involved in a double Mandela effect. Apparently, there is supposed to be a, uh, a space between Tinker and Bell, and that it's always been this way. However, there are so many examples of residue on this one that it's, it's, uh, it's almost absurd to argue it any other way. For anyone interested in peeping that yourself, or if you have a keen interest in the concept of M.E. residue, check out the Flickr link I've posted below. If you ever want to feel less cray-cray in the bray-bray, uh, jump on here and search the effect. This is a good way to confirm for yourself that you, at the very least, are remembering something that you saw in a magazine or a television advert at one time. This account has taken it upon themselves to collect and store all of the photo evidence they can find on any of the M.E. residues and proof of these alternate memories. Just when I think I've heard all of these things or the craziest of them, I come across a site like this. Are you guys aware that Nobody Does It Like Sarah Lee is actually Nobody Doesn't Like Sarah Lee? What? Like, 
Why, Mandela Effect? Why? You can also find some great residue groups over on Facebook. There's groups on there for everything nowadays, of course, but um, I joined a couple of the ME-specific groups and have really appreciated the open-minded, no-bully zones, and supportive feel of these online spaces. Like, they are there to share, to learn, to educate, and anyone trying to come up in that space to downplay or troll is definitely not actively allowed or encouraged to stay. I dig it and uh, appreciate being able to learn everything Mandela Effect in a welcoming atmosphere. Reddit also has some fantastic threads, both on ME and its residue and proof. This online space is not so much of a safe space, though, so just be forewarned that you will be made to feel like an idiot with a bad memory. All right, so I'm going to run through a few residues I've just come across in this most recent research, as I've already basically got the rest of the, uh, the season sketched out, so there won't really be any opportunity to talk about these at any length anywhere else, but I still wanted to give them an honorable mention somewhere. So here they are. There is an ME of the VW logo. If you look at it, you can clearly see a space between the V and the W in the design. This is constant throughout its evolution since the, the early 1900s. However, people remember a version of it not containing the space. The V and the W are connected at their middle points, as in the bottom point of the V and the middle upper point of the W. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go Google the VW logo. I, I don't want anyone to be confused, and I know just describing some of these images is not going to cut it. Anyway, there is a scene in the 2001 movie Vanilla Sky where Tom Cruise's character is walking down the street with his co-star, and they pass by a VW bus. In the frame, you can clearly see that there is no space between the V and the W on the logo on the vehicle. It is exactly as people remember it. Okay, here's a fun one. Who out there isn't familiar with Chick-fil-A? And who out there is not familiar with how it's spelled? C-H-I-C-C-H-I-K. What about C-H-I-C-K? Well, only one of those is the currently accepted spelling. And I actually had to look this one up, honestly, because I've, uh, I've never paid that close attention to this particular restaurant or how it's spelled. But that doesn't mean that thousands of other people haven't. I've stumbled across an incredible resource on Reddit called the Chick-fil-A Residue Collection. This poster links to all different kinds of photos, different spellings in newspaper articles, in books. He even talks about a common denier excuse, which is the cow campaign. You remember the signs, right? The, uh, the cows are up there painting something to encourage you to eat more chickens. Well, these cows are notorious for their misspellings and bad grammar, right? It's a sound argument except that these alternate spelling memories definitely predate the cow campaign. And the poster does an excellent job providing the linked proof for that as well. And finally, they finished up with all of the, what I will call accessory residue. Various websites, yearbook pages, advertisements, recipe sites, mugs, etc. All showing the misspellings. If you have any desire to dive down an ME rabbit hole today, please go check out this collection on Reddit. Also, it is C-H-I-C-K filet. At least that is the currently accepted spelling. According to the CFA founder, it was supposed to be a take on the words chicken filet. So there's that. Uh, the poster clearly has a good grasp on this particular ME and took the necessary time and effort to compile such an incredibly extensive collection of residue. 
And this is just one Mandela effect of thousands. Here's another one with a ton of residue. Anyone remember Rodin's sculpture, The Thinker? Does anyone else remember it with his forehead resting on his fist? It's fascinating and bizarre, the fact that so many remember this one. Like, his pose could have been anything, right? Why only this possibility? And it's such a strange, uncomfortable pose, too. Have you tried it yourself? Why would anyone sit thinking that way? Anyway, the residue for this one is very interesting and is quite extensive. Aside from the photos people have taken of themselves posing directly in front of the thinker, but in the hand-to-forehead pose in direct contradiction to the statue they are literally right in front of, in 1906, playwright Bernard Shaw had a photograph taken of him doing his impersonation of the famous statue the day it was revealed to the public. Doesn't need to be said, of course, as this is what we are talking about, but yes, he is forehead to fist. Now, Mr. Shaw, who is arguably one of the all-time great playwrights, he's famous, he's an intellectual, could he really have misremembered the pose of the statue he was specifically imitating on the very date it was unveiled? Perhaps he was doing it distinctly different for some reason, some, some artistic purpose. Or was he perfectly impersonating said statue and it just had not been Mandela'd yet? There are numerous residues of this one in books. In a novel by Deirdre Martin, Gemma feigned the pose of the thinker, putting her fist to her forehead. From a novel by John Clark, Uli flexed his muscles like Popeye, and Siggy adopted the thinker's pose, forehead resting on clenched fist. From a novel by Michael O'Brien, he rested his forehead in his hand like Rodin's thinker and closed his eyes. And this one is interesting in a self-care guide put out by Kaiser Permanente. Extended periods of the thinker's pose, resting your forehead on your upright fist or arm. In 1972, French comic writer and illustrator Albert Uderzo drew his interpretation of the thinker. Same thing in his cartoon, fist to forehead. But... Why pay attention to any of that malarkey? It's all happenstance, coincidence. Let's just look to the sculptor himself, see what he has to say. What makes my thinker think is that he thinks not only with his brain, but with knitted brow, his distended nostrils and compressed lips, but with every muscle of his arms, back and legs, with his clenched fist and gripping toes. Hmm... Clenched fist, you say? Not the slack, open hand that currently resides beneath your thinker's chin? And to wrap up this part, I came across something really interesting. I hadn't heard this about the whole thinker M.E., but apparently, round about 2019, everyone was freaking out on Mandela Effect threads and forums because they were convinced that the thinker had always had his hand on his chin, but people were claiming that no, it had changed from chin to forehead. One person commented on their personal experience at that time, saying they thought that that was strange, as they had always thought his, his fist had been on his chin, and claims that they even went to Google Images to verify. Sure enough, there's the thinker with his forehead resting on his fist. 
She says she was able to shrug it off at that time as having been mistaken the whole time. However, she claims that about a month later, she had come back to the original online conversation on Reddit to check it out, and everyone was then losing it because the thinker had once again changed his position. He was back to chin on hand. She confirmed this with a quick Google image search, and sure enough, this is an interesting M.E. occurrence, the flip-flop of realities. Not something I was expecting, but it plays a part in all of this. And the thinker is not the only example of it. These flip-flops occur frequently and seem to be increasing as we move forward. As I mentioned in the previous episode, we will be speaking more on this later. So what makes these quote-unquote memories different as opposed to us learning that we were just wrong and accepting that and moving on? Why can't we just agree Oh, Chick-fil-A. I guess I'll just move forward spelling it correctly now. No harm done. Or, ah, crud. Bernstein is spelled with an A? I was misremembering. That does seem like the most logical conclusion. What is it that just won't allow all of these people to let it slide as a false memory? I can speak from personal experience as to why I can't just let it go. Because I do have false memories. Things that I thought happened when I was a kid or happened in a certain way and... Somewhere along the line, someone from my family or a friend has corrected me. And you know what? Yeah, sometimes I get a little defensive. I'll stand my ground on something. But ultimately, I accept that I was wrong because I already had the feeling I was wrong, maybe. Or the memory is just a little fuzzy. Some of the pieces don't line up. My gut is telling me I'm missing something, you know? But with some of these M.E.'s, I can understand now how people are getting so emotionally invested, why they are getting upset. Because when you know something happened, and in a certain way, and now it's not that way, and there's no way to explain why, but you still have no doubt. But everyone is telling you you're wrong, you're wrong. But you know what you saw, heard, learned, read, you know it. And now... Let's say you find a photo supporting that your memory was right. Yeah, it's upsetting. Eileen Colts talks about this a little bit in the book that she does a little section on. It's called Mandela Effect, Friend or Foe. She says it's a paradigm shift. When what you thought you knew or believed about reality seems to be shifting right before your eyes, If it seems more fluid than you've always been comfortable believing it to be, this stuff can be very unsettling, very scary. I appreciate the angle the author takes pretty early on in her work, though, um, about looking at it a little, little differently, that maybe it's not something to be afraid of. She even ventures a theory that we, uh, mass human consciousness, the hive mind, is the reason behind these changes, that it's Mind over matter, baby. And we'll certainly talk more about that soon enough as well. Have you personally been affected by the paranormal and want to tell your story? Send it over to paranormgirlpod at gmail.com. Of course, find and like us over on the socials. The handle for those is at paranormgirlpod. And if you're loving this lesson thus far and want to share in the gift of education, tell your friends, tell your family about the Paranorm Girl podcast. It's the loving thing to do, nay, the right thing to do. And now that we have reached the end of today's lesson, let's wrap it all up with a final note. 
So what does this all mean? What does the presence of residue mean for this phenomenon? And what does it mean to the skeptics who really do believe every single one of these occurrences can be explained? Is residue actual proof? Is it the stepping stone we need to piece it all together? Or is it proof only of confused people of years past and their inability to spell correctly in their published advertisements? Is the residue itself in old ads and commercials and excerpts from books the reason that so many of us have these altered memories to begin with? Or are they hints of a lost alternate reality, a place that some of us still remember? Human memory is imperfect. It's not infallible. No one is arguing this. But I keep going back to what Rob Shelsky said in his book, False Memories Are Real. But how can so many people be getting it wrong and all in the same way? It's a simple question, but a good one. There's something interesting that happens too that I think we should be aware of as we continue. And it happens when a person is first introduced to ME. I thought I was the only one to notice this. Come to find out it's actually quite common. Cognitive dissonance. As Vanessa Va states in her section of Friend or Foe, the responses to the introduction of Mandela effect can range from fearful, shocked, and interested to apathetic and unresponsive. Many dismiss the phenomenon, laughing it off while others become angry upon hearing about it. Cognitive dissonance is the mental discomfort that an individual experiences when they are faced with information that contradicts ingrained belief systems. Now, so far, I'm still riding the fine line between skepticism and belief. But I personally received a 92% grade on the Are You Mandela Affected quiz at alteredmemories.com. I recommend taking it if you're curious at all. So, Yes, you best believe I'm on board to learn more and at the very least, learn what could be the cause of all of this. The residue I've seen so far piques my interest, keeps me involved. But I can imagine the level of cognitive dissonance a staunch skeptic might encounter, that, uh, that heart-racing doubt, when your idea of the safe sense of reality you have built around you starts sliding around sliding away. Might be too hard of a concept to handle for some. So definitely don't force this stuff on anyone else. And you may find you have to walk away yourself. And that is totally okay. If, however, you choose to continue learning this with me, I only ask you to be aware that others can get angry over it and that it can feel rather uncomfortable for you too. That is all. But change never comes easy, does it? And there's still quite a bit more ground to cover with this one. The phenomenon is not so inconsequential as some make it out to be. The changes themselves may be small, but the Mandela effect stretches far and wide. And this kind of stuff changes people. It would change you too, to realize there was even a sliver of a chance that reality as you know it is not reality 
as you know it. Stay safe, y'all. Keep the nightlight on and sleep with one eye open.